Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Logan's Devotions. It's great to be together. Wonderful to open up God's Word for another day and see what he has to say. We're turning through to Luke chapter 9 again, but before I read our passage, as always, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which is rich and true. We do pray that you would encourage our hearts this day, that you would feed us by your word, that we might follow Christ more faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 10, picking up at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed seventy-two others, and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of Sodom, day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Well, we've been thinking a little bit through chapter 9 about discipleship, following Jesus, and we've seen quite a few examples of this done badly. We've seen the disciples messing it up. We saw these people yesterday who made excuses and th thought to add to following Jesus or take away from following Jesus. Now we're confronted with what you might call the second mission trip. We saw at the beginning of chapter 9, the 12 disciples getting, getting sent out. Now we see six times that number, 72 disciples being sent out. And in this section, I've read a longer portion because rather than digging deeply into all of it, what I'd like us to do is look at this broader section and just note 
some lessons we see about the nature of following Christ, the nature of discipleship, the nature of being on mission, some people say, going about serving the Lord in our everyday life. So let's note a few observations we see in this text. Firstly, we go under the appointment of Christ. So Jesus is the one who sends out these 12. Now, sorry, these 72. Now, that's important because it reminds us that we don't go by our own our own authority. Whether you go out as a missionary or whether you go out as a minister or whether you just go out into your workplace, you do so under the authority of Christ. Now, yes, there is a difference in, in function and office and role between a minister or missionary and a just general Christian. But all of them, every Christian, goes forth on behalf of Christ under his authority. And that means you and I don't get to define or pick how we fulfill our ministry. But we must walk as disciples of Christ as he sets it forth for us. And so Jesus comes to these 72 disciples and he gives them some instructions. He says to them, first and foremost, they must pray. Jesus looks out at the harvest, he looks out at the fields, he looks out at the people, and he says, well, 72 people is not enough. So, pray. And and that's a fantastic reminder for us, isn't it? Right as we begin thinking about discipleship, the first place to start is prayer. Because there's not enough of us. I look around my own country and I see so much need. We desperately need more workers. Now, yes, that specifically applies to missionaries and ministers, but we just need more Christians laboring in general, don't we? And the only way that's going to happen is through prayer. Prayer to our Father, that the Lord of the harvest would send forth workers into the field. And so Christian discipleship is always, always begun with prayer. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't pray. Prayer and faith go hand in hand. So firstly, we see prayer. Secondly, we see going. He says in verse 3, go your way. We have to go. We can't bunker down in little Christian bubbles and protect ourselves. We must actually go. Now, going looks different for different people. For some of us, like myself, that looks a certain way. Others of us, the majority of us, it means going into our workplaces or into our families or into friend groups, going to sports clubs, going to bridge, I don't know, whatever it is you do, going there. And it's a reminder that all the different places you go, you go as one appointed of Christ as a disciple. You go as one on mission, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So we pray, we go, and then notice what else we do. We stay. He says to the disciples, go your way. These are the things you're meant to dress with. We talked about that in chapter 9. These are the things you're meant to wear. This is what it's like. And I want you to go and I want you to stay. Verse 5, whatever house you enter, say peace. And what do you do? Well, you remain there. You rest there. If they welcome you, you eat and drink, whatever they provide. You don't even ask questions. Now, to you and I, that, that doesn't mean very much. We're like, well, it doesn't really matter what I eat. Yeah, I don't like canned tuna. But apart from that, I'll eat almost anything. 
But this is to a group of Jews, right? Who had clean and unclean laws. Jesus says, eat whatever's laid before you. Set those things aside. Do the work of the ministry. Fulfill your calling. Be faithful. Embrace the people you go to. You see, we don't go into, let's take an example, you don't go into your workplace and stand aloof. I'm here, but I'm aloof. No, you go into the lunchroom and you sit down with them and, and you, you, you share food with them and you drink coffee with them and you fellowship with them and you engage in conversation with them. And if they will welcome you, you minister to them. And so you heal them. Now, we know that the healing ministries are finished. And so we don't have the ability to heal people like these disciples were given. But we are called to, to minister good to everyone. In whatever way we can help people, we ought to do it. But notice what else he says. He says, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. It's not just enough to go. It's not just enough to do good. It's not just enough to be with people and remain with people. We have to speak. We have to use our mouths. We have to talk of the kingdom of God. We have to speak the good news of Christ. There is no such thing as a gospel mission that does not involve speaking. I have no problems with groups that seek to help people with their problems. Healing the blind and all that sort of stuff. Those are all great humanitarian efforts and we need them. But a legitimate Christian mission is one that involves opening our mouths and speaking of Christ. So we must go, we must remain, we must do good, and we must speak of the kingdom of God. But then notice what else we do. We also recognize that because we go under the appointment of Christ, we will be treated as Christ. So have a look at verse 16. He says, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. You see, when we, when we live as Christians, we represent Christ everywhere we go. And so people will treat you how they want to treat Christ. So when they hate you because you're a believer, you don't need to be upset because they don't actually hate you as a human being. They hate the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they attack you. They malign you. They gossip about you. Because they hate Christ. So you can take comfort in that. But then also when they treat you well because of Christ, you can rejoice because they're doing it because they love Jesus. So we are representing Christ in this way. But then notice lastly, as the 72 disciples come back, they rejoice. What do they rejoice in? They rejoice because the evil spirits listened to them under the authority of Christ. It's a pretty wonderful thing to rejoice in. But Jesus says, no, that's not what you rejoice in. Rejoice in your salvation. Jesus says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's a wonderful, humbling reality, isn't it? That at the end of the day, all we long to hear is well done, good and faithful servant. At the end of the day, the only thing we have to rejoice in is not our going, is not our praying, is not our speaking, is not our doing good. It's not in converting the nations. The thing we rejoice in is that we have been counted 
with Christ. We have been received by him and loved by the Father and the Spirit dwells within us and we are blessed in him. Because there's no greater privilege. There's no greater reward and there's no greater motivation. Because if that's the thing we rejoice in, that's the thing we will take to the people around us. If that's what we're rejoicing in, we will delight to share it with others. So rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we've seen and considered these things, we recognize that at the end of the day, we are to act like Jesus Christ. We are to follow him. We are to represent him. And we are to rejoice. Help us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.